This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. We are almost at the end now of our exploration of this book, The Evolving Self by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. We are in Chapter 8, The Transcendent Self. And as I was expressing as everyone was coming on, this has definitely been my favorite chapter so far in this book. I've been reading this one for the first time with all of you, and admittedly, the first whole half of the book was rather sluggish to get through, in my opinion. But this chapter finally felt like the payoff. And I'm even excited to see what we've got in store for us. We still have two more chapters after this one. But today is all about the transcendent self. And Maritza and I, we've got a presentation. Maritza put together a really beautiful presentation. And I know I have a lot to say about this chapter as well. So we're just going to try to dive right into it, get through this presentation for you. Then we're going to break everyone out into small groups. So you'll have the opportunity to discuss the ideas that are presented here that uh, were in the chapter, if you read it, or just following along here with the presentation. And then at the very end, uh, as always, we're going to come back to the large group and have an opportunity where everyone can share their takeaways, their insights, any other questions that you want to ask. But Let's just dive right into chapter eight, the transcendent self. So before we get started, uh, we just have this slide that Ritz usually puts up here just to remind you what the concept of flow is that we are exploring here in the book. So Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, MC, as we like to call him around here, he was the originator of this concept of flow. And this book that we're exploring the Evolving Self is a sequel to his original book, Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience, which we went through previously with this group. So just to remind you, flow is that state of effortless effort. It is a state when you are so absorbed and involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. Uh, time passes strangely, your sense of self seems to disappear, action and awareness feel like they merge. Uh, you might have heard this state ex expressed as even the being in the zone, runners often refer to runners high. And one of the really key important concepts about flow that we talk about all the time is this idea of the challenge skills balance. So we're really aiming for that sweet spot where the challenge that you're taking on matches the skills that you have. And it is an evolving process because we're going to constantly need to keep challenging ourselves to get into that sweet spot of the challenge skills balance. But on to this chapter, which is now all about the transcendent self. And I love this picture you found here too. This, it's beautiful. So just some introduction here, uh, a couple quotes. MC says, to help guide the progress of evolution, it is not sufficient for a person to enjoy merely any kind of life, but a life that increases order instead of disorder. 
To contribute to greater harmony, a person's consciousness has to become complex. And what we know from MC is this is his idea of what flow is all about. So we, we describe the characteristics of a flow state, but one of the main ideas that MC had that we looked at even in the previous book was this idea that flow is all about increasing the complexity of the self and moving from chaos and disorder to order in the self. And now we're going to delve into this idea that what emerges from this is this concept of the transcendent self. And MC likes to call this person a transcender or a transcendent person. Uh, and sometimes he likes to call this person a T person. I was thinking maybe we could even call it like a T-Rex because that's what it sounds more like to me. But uh, as he says here, a transcender or a T-person or a T-Rex is a complex person, an individual whose psychic energy is joyfully invested in complex goals. This individual nurtures harmony and decreases overall entropy with their actions. Anything else you wanted to say broadly about being a transcender, this, this concept here, Marissa? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, th this is what we're talking about all day, but this is just sort of the introduction here. Right. So diving right into it, what are transcenders like? The main point in this first part of the chapter it says here, because differentiation is one half of a complex consciousness, each person must follow his or her own bent, find ways to realize his or her unique individuality. Because we are all born with a different combination of strengths, weaknesses, and gifts, there is no such thing as a typical T-person, nor a best way to achieve complexity. So here we're building off of a concept that we already started to explore in the previous chapters of combining both differentiation and integration. And we're going to see here that there's this idea of what it takes to be a transcendent self it involves on the one hand being differentiated, being an individual and going after and maximizing your personal happiness. And then there's also this concept of integration. We are social solitary beings, that phrase from uh, Jacob Bronowski, which I always love. So then there's the integrated part, which is then how you are an individual within society and further harmony and goodness within society as well. And so, and as MCC sees it, in order to be a true transcender or T person, you really wanna have both of these, the differentiation and the integration, the solitary and the social, the happiness for the individual and the happiness for the society. And then in this first section of the chapter, he gave us a bunch of examples of different kinds of people who he would have identified as living transcendent lives. And just looking at all the different ways that this could manifest itself, because as he points out here, there's no one right formula to become a T person, because as he says, we all have our own strengths, weaknesses, gifts. We were all born into different time periods and settings and situations. So it's going to be something unique. Um, but then here he did kind of identify uh, certain patterns, certain um, common traits that we would see across all these widely different T persons. And Marissa, did you want to maybe go through what, what some of these were, some of the patterns here? Um I don't think it's necessary. Um, I just, so this entire chapter was example-based mm -hmm. and I, I just didn't want to put in the specific examples. So I tried to extrapolate 
the, um, you know, the, the themes that he was saying, because he'll come back to them throughout the chapter in other sections. So he's just saying that you can see patterns in some of the, um, in all of these uh, tea people, they have kind of similar ways of being. And um, this uh, chapter more than most is very example heavy. And um, that, that does um, kind of um, make it a little bit hard. You know, I didn't wanna put the exact examples of people he gave. To me, the most important thing about this section is the question of, you know, what transcenders are like. The most important is that there's no one way. It could be me, it could be you. You know, look in the mirror, look to your neighbor. That's what I'm hearing in this section. Let's not get caught up in thinking what it should look like and assume that it can look like anything. Yeah. I thought it was really great though, what you did here, really just trying to pull out what some of the patterns are. So, you know, if people have read the chapter or want to go back and read the chapter, um, you know, you can read all the examples and maybe extrapolate out the different patterns you see here. But I think, you know, you pointed to some really good ones and some important ones here. Um, like, like this first one about, uh, you know, deriving spontaneous joy and deep satisfaction from living, um, you know, that it's all about creating order from disorder, um, he says you're transforming entropy into memes that create order, uh, you know, giving meaning to, you know, an otherwise, you know, intolerable existence, one that might otherwise be filled with suffering, um, you know, seeking out the hopeful aspects of, of a situation. Um, and, uh, you know, dedicating oneself to pursuing, as he says here, moral goals, uh, so you know, connecting yourself with that kind of wider morality. But I think as we go through this, maybe, you know, people can also maybe chime in and see some of the other, um, especially people maybe who have read the chapter or maybe who are thinking about, you know, transcenders that you know in your life. Um, you can maybe, you know, throw out some other examples of characteristics you see and can maybe add to that list of the patterns. Right. I do, since, uh, Joy, I mentioned that, I do want to say this is not an exhaustive no. list. This, these are just the, a few of them that I pulled out from the examples provided in this section. Oops, we ready to go to the next slide here. So then we're gonna go deeper into this concept of what is the self. Um, you know, after all, this is the evolving self book and now we're exploring the transcendent self. So he's gonna present his view of how he uh, sees and identifies what the self is. Uh, as he points out here, a main point, the self is something in our mind that is more than the sum of the individual neurons that make up the brain. It is the brain's awareness of its own form of organizing information. And as he says here, we experience the coming together of information and consciousness as the self and the self comes into being because consciousness in order to avoid being overwhelmed by all the different information that clamors for attention, needs a mechanism to sort out and prioritize the diverse information and, and demands. And he sees that this is how the self arises and what the self is. And then he makes this point here that after the self develops, uh, its primary goal becomes that of defending itself and aggrandizing itself. I don't know if that's hard to say, aggrandizing itself, um, which can then, you know, also potentially lead to problems as well. So that, that's why it's gonna be important to aim for being a 
transcendent self. There's actually two sides on what is the self because I felt like this section was divided mm -hmm. into two major components. So there's two major points for this one. Um, I'm going to um, go to the next one, but then we can come back to this first one if, you know, after we've seen both, if we want to make a more complete comment. Mm -hmm. So continuing on, um, we're going to see here now that the self is considered a hierarchy of goals because goals define what we pay attention to and how. So again, this is connecting into another really important theme that we've seen come up in this book and in the flow book as well, the importance of attention and what we pay attention to. And here he's really going out and making a point to say that what the self ultimately is and how we ought to think about the self and identify the self is with our goals and what it is that we pay attention to. He says, we are what we attend to. Um, and then goals become the important mechanism by which attention works and you know, is, becomes prioritized. And the goal, as he says here, is the channel into which psychic energy flows. So in this, you know, we're, we're just scratching the surface. And if you'll see some of the verbiage that um, MC uses, it, it's a little reminiscent of, um, you know, to me, it sounded a little bit... Um, and, you know, Freud-ish with the self, but actually it's, it's not. He's more aligned with a couple other philosophers. Um, to, to me, this idea, if you remember, we ended the um, flow book by telling you that goals are so important. You have to make goals, um, but the goal is not the most important. You know, goals don't matter, make them anyway. That's kind of what we told you at the end of the last book. And this here is what we're seeing. So ultimately we're being told that, you know, self-actualization is not where you truly want to end up. You want to keep moving past that. So if we consider the self to be identity, you would like to move above that as it were. And so to help in visualizing that, we're going to present to you in the next couple slides, some other philosophers' views of these concepts of self-actualization and self-transcendence. Since these first two sections, you know, we tackled what transcenders look like and what is the self. So the idea is, you know, this is not truly, you know, it, it's such a hard and tough question. Let's look at some other philosophers and get other ideas for what, what we're trying to come about here. So that's what we're going to do here for you next. So what are we looking at here? On the left-hand side, you're seeing Frankl's um, model. Now this model was not drawn by Frankl himself, um, you know, but this is based on his concepts. And, um, and then there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I'm gonna actually start with Maslow because I believe he's the more common, um, graph, most of you are used to hearing about the hierarchy of needs, and most of you are used to seeing it end at self-actualization. Late in life, Maslow actually walked back his, um, several of his beliefs in um, self-actualization, not that he was necessarily um, walking them back, but he 
no longer believed that that was the end. He realized that he had given traits to a self-actualized person that actually belonged to a self-transcended person. So Maslow tells us, Maslow tells us that the goal of identity, and he's equating self-actualization to identity. He says, it seems to be simultaneously an end goal in itself and also a transitional goal, a rite of passage, a step along the path to the transcendence of identity. So that's what he said a little earlier in life and then he clarifies it in some of his later works and he calls that transcendence of identity, self-transcendence. So, you know, he, he amended his hierarchy and he says, um, transcendence refers to the highest and most inclusive or holistic levels of human consciousness behaving and relating as ends rather than means to oneself, to significant others, to human beings in general, to other species, to nature and to the cosmos. The real aim of human existence cannot be found in what is called self-actualization. Self-actualization should actually be a byproduct of self-transcendence. So the interesting thing here is that while both of them are talking about the self, they're using the literal word self, we're being encouraged to go past the self. So I like that the word self is still in there because it's that constant reminder that even as you transcend identity, you have an identity. Without having an identity, you can't possibly go further. So it's kind of one of those hold tightly to your core, but always keep reaching for more. So that's what we're seeing here. Now he, he has a, you know, there's a whole bunch of um, different things that he, that are explicitly stated on what Maslow believes a transcender does traits of a transcender and they do they do align fairly well with many of the things we're hearing from mc you know he's he's talking about um you know they perceive um unitively or sacredly which you know seems they, they see the sacredness in all things at the same time they're more um consciously and deliberately meta motivated um and he says they recognize each other a self-transcendent person, more responsive to beauty, more holistic. They have a tendency towards increased synergy. Um, so I hear all of these things in what MC is saying to us. So Franco was all about, you know, let's seek meaning. And you guys have heard me often say that I believe when we find that sweet spot between skills and challenges, and we're in the flow channel, we're actually walking that meaningful path. I believe that that's what I'm hearing and what I'm getting in all of these studies of flow. And so I'm delighted to see that here and be able to present that with you guys here with Franco. Um, this Victor Franco, by the way, sorry, if you guys were not familiar with him. So basically he's telling us that we should try to experience all as a lifestyle. And I kind of love his definition of all. It's a, um, it's it's the feeling of awe and sense of wonder arises from the recognition of the deep mystery that surrounds us everywhere, and this feeling deepens 
as our knowledge grows. So Frankel says that self-transcendence is a primary motivation that's characterized by a shift in focus from the self to others, a shift in values from extrinsic motivation, such as materialism, to intrinsic motivation, meaning the activity itself is the reward. Um, Also um, characterized by an increase in moral concern for doing what is right and you know, the emotion of awe that contributes to life transformation and which inspires other, others. And so he, cause he really thought that, you know, when, when we see awe and everything, that's when we found meaning. And he's very strong on this concept of the will to meaning. And, you know, he's, the will to meaning is that courage, responsibility, and the search for self-transcendence. And I, there's a phrase where he defines, he tells us and reminds us, consciousness is the power to decide. And we haven't actually talked overly much here about deciding or choosing, but what we have spoken quite intensively about is intention and walking forward with intent. That's the same thing. And let's remember that consciousness is that which we're learning with MC that we are attempting to wrangle under control so that we can enter into increased states of flow. So when you remember that that's what consciousness is, if you want to call it your soul, go for it. He's mentioned that it can be synonymous with that if you feel inclined to do so, right? Now, if consciousness is the power to decide, it's all just the matter of we can wrangle control and we can keep walking towards this concept of self-transcendence. In um, Franco's theory, he he walks you through, you know, he starts with the freedom of will and the will's meaning and the meaning of life. I like that he makes a separation between seeking meaning and finding meaning and that both are necessary to get towards this self-transcendence. And then he shows a bunch of other little things that we're doing once we're in within this self-transcendence. Um, I see that it fits with the model presented by Maslow just slightly differently, but basically what we're, we're saying is, you know, so. Um, MC tells us that, you know, there's that the mind is more than the sum of the individual neurons that make up the brain. And what this is saying is that, yes, that something is what gives us the power to decide. And it's we who can move ourselves forward into doing something that's more instead of allowing ourselves to be floated about through the, the makeup that is, you know, our instincts, our genetic selves. There's nothing wrong with, you know, following your instinct, but if you strive to be a little bit more, so instincts and that's what you find here. Um, and that's, that's what I'm seeing here. And there's one more um, image of transcendence that I wanted to present to you. This one here is a 
much newer than the others. And it's kind of the same thing, just in a, in a different view. What I liked about this one is that it has this one little piece of pie that's like in dots and it's called hedonism, pleasure or sensuous gratification for oneself. And I, I feel like that is the floating in the wind concept that we've heard MC warn against. Um, and I really like seeing, you know, conservation, self-enhancement, openness to change and self-transcendence. Again, there's forward movement here. We, we all of us, will, if we're walking that meaningful path, we're going to find ourselves in different pieces of this pie at different times. And there's nothing wrong with staying at stimulation. You're open to change. You've got excitement, you've got novelty, you have challenge. Nothing wrong with that. But what MC is saying, that's okay, but there's something better out there. So why not maybe strive for something better? And what I like about this diagram is it's that concept of, you know how they say you shoot for the stars and then if you miss, or what is it, shoot for the sun? Or, and then if you miss, you fall, along, fall among the stars. That's what I see here. It's like, it's showing you there's a lot of good in continued forward movement. So if self-transcendence is the goal, and let's not forget that, and okay, we're gonna actually, that's gonna be the next slide, but self-transcendence in history is most often attributed to the sage types of our world and mythology. So it's okay if we don't actually make it there. If we're working towards there, we're still going to live a very fulfilled and good life. And, and we can put ourselves on that track for helping to increase the um, positive path of um, our evolutionary history. Was there anything, um, Joya, did you wanna comment on the previous slide or on this one? Um, I'll, I'll just say a couple of things. First, I, I love how you brought in all of these other thinkers about transcendence, because um, I think you're, you're absolutely right that what MC is saying here is definitely aligned with these other thinkers. And I, I always think it's fascinating that we see that, you know, they're, they're all kind of talking about the same idea, but getting at it from different perspectives and of course with different diagrams and ways of visualizing it as well and I, I find it really useful to just even have all of those models in front of us um you know like I, I see them all as like the little pieces that that help us get to the truth um so I, I think it is really useful to see them all coming together in this way even with the diagrams um you know I, I've always thought it was interesting that you know I think as you're right, like probably the one that everyone is most familiar with because we see it a lot in popular culture is Maslow's pyramid. Um, but Maslow himself never actually diagrammed this in terms of a, a pyramid. So, so I thought that was was really interesting. That was you know later some of his followers uh, you know took his ideas and came up with that representation. And now of course it's the one that that everybody knows. But I do think it's useful to look at and see. Hi, these, I have a quick question. All the different. If that's things. okay. So, Yep, we're gonna have we're gonna save questions um till right oh, after oh, the okay. presentation. I was just gonna ask Joseph, where do you get that headset? I really like it. I was planning on getting one myself. So no worries, we're gonna save questions till the end. So, but talking about this here, one other point I wanted to make too, just to to maybe reinforce something that you were saying. So, you know, way back when we were on that um 
slide with MC, we were discussing the concept of goals and what goals have to do with this. And what I even got out of that was even this connection to being intentional about our attention. That, that was one of the- Andrew, do you have Snapchat? For that, um, was that goals are even what help us be intentional about our attention. Because you know, I think we all know, especially in the era of social media, that of course, um, you know, there's so many people who are trying to vie for our attention or capture our attention. It's so easy perhaps to be distracted and goals are precisely what help us be intentional about uh, how we focus our attention and then how we can uh, achieve this transcendent self. Okay. Pardon, Joya, what did you say? Oh. Yeah, I have no idea. Can you what hear you me? Joya, we hear you loud and clear, no problem. Okay. Yeah, I think something's going on here with uh, people trying to get into the room, so. No, um, it, we've, got, we've got a couple bombers. Wait, we've got a whole bunch bombed? of bombers coming on here, being so. Bombed? Oh, God. I think we're just gonna have to make sure to deal with them. I missed somebody, sorry. Okay, I think we got them all. Sorry guys, apologies mm -hmm. for that. Um, Joya, I would not let anyone in. Yeah, no. <laughs> Did you see there's like a whole bunch of people Are trying to four? Yeah, I don't let's think not. they're supposed to be here. Indeed, I think everyone who wants to be here is here. Oh wait, oh crap. Um, we miss somebody. Um, Joya, can you block the stop share? Yeah, I'll try to do that. I thought it was blocked. Sorry, guys. Oh. <sighs> Do you want to keep going with the presentation and I'll try to- I'm trying. I can't stop. They keep stealing the control from me. Do we get everyone now? I think we got everyone. You want to? Do you want to go on with the presentation or? Right. I I have the wrong screen up, but if I stop screen share, I might have the same issue. But I think the problem is is that we we still have a bomber. There's somebody we've missed. And I don't know who it is. On my end, it looks like you have the screen now, so. I do have the screen right now because I set the parameters that only one person can view, but I have the wrong screen up right now. 
I need to swap it. Um, all right, give me just a second. Okay. Are you guys seeing the, yeah, the whole that, page? That looks right. All right, guys. So sorry. sorry about that. Apologize. Um, it's very uh, sad considering we're just all this deep stuff and then we have to pause for our silliness. Yeah, we're practicing transcendence. So, you know, it's, it's part <laughs> is that of what the, we're doing. That is what we are doing today. Okay. All right, guys. So, um, looking here. So, I see the overarching theme in all of these. And, I, you know, you guys, if you heard me say it a thousand times, I'm going to bring it up again the idea of, you know, intentionality. We, we look here at these um, aids from other philosophers and it's so easy to see that um, threaded throughout the theme of what MC is telling us here today. You know, he, he's saying that we need, and what I really like also is that at the end, he emphasizes that we need both of these. You, you cannot have only integration and you cannot only have differentiation. You require both in order to, um, and he says, both are necessary for the kind of self that leads to a complex and harmonious evolution. And the nice thing here is it doesn't matter whether you're thinking evolution of the self or evolution of the species. Either way you look at it, what you'll find is that a constant dance between these is what's going to have you moving forward. And you see that here, you know, this will to meaning is it's just going to invariably lead you to seeking. And if you keep seeking, you're going to eventually find this transcendence that, you know, we're all hoping for. And if you don't, you're still gonna have good things along the way and you're gonna be, you know, moving forward on that meaningful path which is a great goal and a nice thing. The, another thing to remember that's not said explicitly here, but will remind you that when you are in flow, you are not worrying or thinking about whether you're in flow, how long you're in flow, or what you should be doing to get in or out of it. Everything fades away. So I believe the same we'll see here, you know, if the, if the end is the means, in and of itself, you're not worried about whether or not you're going to hit self-transcendence. You may one day just accidentally find yourself there. Um, and it's, again, like flow, the moment you start worrying about whether or not you're there, you're no longer on that path. You're falling a little bit off. So here, just, um, you know, one last thing I want to say about this, image here is the, um, you know, the, the piece of the pie that you're in is not locked. You're not stuck there. It's, there's constant movement. And again, forgive yourself if you happen to find yourself in tradition and you're having a hard time getting out of it. I think sometimes that self-awareness is the first step in stool towards being able to move past it. And so now we're going to go on to, you know, I mentioned briefly the idea of the stage. So now we're going to talk a little bit more about those types of things, um, the evolving images of the ideal self. 
So here we're, we're really getting into, you know, what does it actually take to be an ideal self and how views of what constitutes the ideal self have changed throughout history. Um, but also I think we're gonna see certain patterns um, that, that emerge as well. Um, the main point here is it says more often than not, the images of the self people created in the, in the past were not intended to represent the self as it is, but rather as it ought to be. As the self began to depend more and more on learning as opposed to relying simply on genetically programmed behavior, its representations began to refer not just to the visible features of the physical body, but included psychological qualities, the spiritual essences that people either experience in themselves or wished to attain. If human evolution is to continue, it will be because of our trying to live up to increasingly complex images of ourselves. And then he kind of went through a whole list of uh, you know, different ways that people have tried to represent their identities and what we grasp from from some of these so these were just some, like the first two which were um you know the personal objects and household objects so you know these are things like your car and your house and uh your furniture and your paintings and your heirlooms um and the ways that these create an image that gives you a sense of self, um, but that you know many of these, like for example, a lot of the, the personal objects, as he points out here, already kind of have more of a defensive purpose or an aggrandizing purpose. So we've not yet really reached um, that transcendent self that we are ought to be aspiring toward. And then going through just with this other list. Um, we have uh, collective representations, images of the ideal self, and then he also talks about the self of the future. So we're kind of, you know, kind of moving up sort of this, this hierarchy here, um, you know, toward better images of what the self can and ought to be. So, you know, going from perhaps the more personal things that, you know, that started just with your own objects or your household, out to collective representations, um, then to focus um, images focusing on the ideal, um, and this is maybe where the, the traditional notion of the sage um, came into being. That that sense of that person who had reached a state of consciousness that had that calm power and restrained energy that is at peace with itself and with the world, uh, and even perhaps seeing the similarities with that and what flow is all about, that calm arousal, that effortless effort, and then taking this to thinking about, okay, what does that mean for the future, uh, you know, and what does that mean when we maybe start to identify with humanity as a whole, with the planet uh, as a whole, with the, the whole cosmos and what that would mean for an, an image of the self. So for me, the um, collective representations, I, I really wanted to write like gallons more there. I do want to read for you guys a section within this subsection of a subsection that I thought was such a powerful statement. So um, MC tells us, nevertheless, most of the images people create of themselves whether at the personal or collective level, are in some respect an expression of power, whether that power involves influencing others, controlling the course of events, or simply having one's way. Of course, from an evolutionary point of view, 
This is an important function that images of the self should provide. It could be argued that they supply the goals. They foreshadow possibilities of being. That they pull us towards the future. But are some images more useful than others in steering us forward on this journey? So, you know, something I loved about this chapter is that throughout it, he does pepper in these random questions that make you want to go sit in a corner for a while and ponder. And this is a soft way to me of reminding us again, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. Even when we think ourselves alone and independent and you know self-contained, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. And so we are benefiting from those who came before, their people who managed to reach this level of self-transcendence positively impacted evolution in a way that led us to being sitting here together, contemplating these thoughts. And so to me, that's just a very powerful thing to remember. And I saw that represented in that one paragraph there. And in, in the self of the future, I would like to remind you that you know, he ends it talking about the cosmos and he, he briefly speaks of the quantum self and the cosmos self. And that is mentioned in both Maslow's and Franco's works. They do talk about, you know, finding ourselves at one with the cosmos and this um, concept of um, unitivity is what uh, Maslow calls it. And it's just this idea of you are seeking greater and greater forms of integration with larger and larger chunks of data, I'm going to say, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, we're assimilating more things, integrating them, um, but we can only do so when we're sure that we've, you know, differentiated to a degree and then we're integrating. So that again, it just shows you that many people who are pondering this concept of self-transcendence are pointing out similar aspects. Shall we move on, Joya? Yeah. All right. So the next section here is exploring the development of the self through the lifespan. So the major point here, the priorities around which people order their psychic energy change with time. The pattern of how individuals learn to value different goals as they mature may mirror the evolution of the self in the history of the human race. So this I, th I thought was just even another one of those fascinating points that we might just want to ponder how much we might think that, uh, that this is true or if we see this, this pattern or to what extent that this pattern holds up um, or not. But he kind of goes through here with the progression of self-development and then seeing how people's values and goals change as they go from childhood into adulthood into like older adulthood as well. In this section, we are told, you know, we're reminded it is not a circular motion that returns to where one started, but rather it resembles an aspiring, I'm sorry, an ascendant spiral where concerns for the self, excuse me,
apologies, it resembles an ascendant spiral where concern for the self becomes readily qualified by less selfish goals and concern for others becomes more individualistic and personally meaningful. And here in this um, book, MC does use selfish with a negative bent. That's how he uses the word. So if for some of us, that's not common, that's how he's using it. Um, and we're reminded of the iterative process of our development. It's not, you know, we're not hopping from point to point. I love the imagery of a spiraling um, process. And that's what we're giving here. Um, I, I do want to um, read out here just the uh, two, two other bullets that I thought were just so important here. We have, while these needs always remain essential, and by these needs, we're talking about those that are lower are Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so we're looking at the idea of, you know, while those needs are always remain essential, for most people, a new set of values will slowly emerge and even take precedence based on the need to be accepted, loved, and respected by others. And this is just a natural progression. And I think sometimes we need to learn to forgive ourselves for changing. It seems like hard and brutal at times, and you may not find yourself, you, you might find yourself at odds with something you once thought was so vital. And that's just because you're moving forward. Um, and then, you know, once you're working on that in time, you're also going to um, start to form, I like this, the antithetical goals because you're moving towards increased autonomy, increased independence. And um, I love that. And I, well, okay, I, I felt a little bad because he says it so strongly. He says, people who reach this stage are fully individualized, unique and interesting. I was like, well, that's kind of harsh. But I think it's just a way of saying you have increased uniqueness, increased interesting aspects because you've attained this stage. Not to say that somebody who's not quite there is not at all interesting. Um, at the final level, the person who has differentiated, sorry, Freudian slip, I did put herself there. I believe he puts his or herself, <laughs> returns to invest attention in broader goals and derives satisfaction from helping a cause greater than the self. The wording in this section is very careful to not say anything that would cause one to think that any of these transcendent actions are disposing of the self. And I think that's really important to mention to you guys. At no point are we saying that you should ever pretend you don't have a self, discard yourself, or you know, separate from yourself. You are merely allowing it to take the back seat while you pursue other things, but it's still there and it's still walking with you. It has to, because if it's not, you can't actually do some of these things. You have to, it has to walk with you. I would say here too, I think, you know, we see that connection again with Maslow because the, you know, the needs he's going through almost exactly mirror, you know, what we know from the Maslow pyramid, uh, you know, that it starts with, you know, our immediate survival and safety needs and moves up to love and belonging and connection. And then, you know, up ultimately to like self-actualization and self-transcendence. But I love here too, that, you know, his vision here is more of the spirals than the pyramid, which I actually think is, is probably even more consonant with, with Maslow as well than, than the pyramid that we're all familiar with. 
I forgot there was another page. Sorry. Well, I, some of this was stuff that we were already talking about, like, you know, like the pattern is not, you know, a circular motion, but resembles an ascending spiral where concern for the self becomes steadily qualified by less self-involved goals and concern for others becomes more individualistic and personally meaningful. Um, you know, so again, you know, it's just these kind of points that we've um, been making here and, and, you know, what kind of what we've been saying here all along, you know, this combination of the differentiation and the integration the, you know, the individual with society. And I think it's just making this point that seeing what the self is about or really the, the transcendent self is the integration of all of these things. Indeed, which shall we move on to the next? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess to, to me, the interesting question Question here too. I mean, the, the one that I was even questioning was how much really does this map on to the lifespan, the life cycle itself? I mean, I think he was making sort of interesting points that, you know, definitely we see that, you know, certainly young children are, you know, most interested in the survival needs, uh, you know, and, and there's a way to see that, okay, like as we grow toward adulthood, we're also growing toward self-actualization. But I, I the, to me, the most important part was this idea of seeing it as a spiral and not a circle because, I, I personally wouldn't want us to get trapped with the idea that like, if you missed out on this in childhood, then somehow you were never going to get it. Um, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to go, you know, step by step by step, you know, sometimes you kind of, you know, reach something and then maybe you backslide a little bit, but then you kind of, you know, go forward a lot. And so, you know, it, it's not necessarily, this is why, like, I've never been a fan of the pyramid model, even, you know, when you, when you see Maslow represented, even though I think his, he has a lot of really great ideas there. Um, like I really love, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the new book Transcend, that I think I've mentioned in this group before um, by Scott Barry Kaufman, where he's uh, trying to integrate Maslow's ideas, even with some of the latest studies in psychology and neuroscience. And he got rid of the pyramid model and replaced it with a sailboat um, and makes this whole argument for why the sailboat is, is a better model for thinking about what Maslow was, was putting forward here. But I, I also like the spiral as well. At the very end here, um, he gives us a little bit of doom and gloom. Again, you know, he lives with that for the first five chapters, but it's not, it's, it's more of a cautionary tale. And what he's telling us is that if we give into selfishness, conformity, or, well, I'm sorry, no, wait, let me take that back. So he tells us that selfishness, conformity, and even the development of unique individuality are no longer sufficient to give life a meaningful purpose at a time when we are capable of destroying ourselves and the environment with increasing ease. And that is his argument for why he believes we do have to seek self-transcendence. Because remember, he's telling us that when we're seeking self-transcendence, we're no longer only thinking of ourselves. It's not that increased individuality is bad. It's that increased individuality is not where we should stop. We should increase our individuality. And again, like, you know, like I love to say, make your eye strong. And once you have a good firm eye, then hold it tight and move forward to make your community strong. And that's exactly what I'm hearing him say here. Exactly that, which I kind of like, even though he says it far more gloomily than I do.
And this is admittedly a long chapter, but we're, 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 we're getting here toward the end. Um, so next we're on to flow and the growth of the self. Here the main point is that every flow experience contributes to the growth of the self. It is only when um, the balance is found in the complexities of integration and differentiation that the self can fully participate in the flow of evolution. I um, mean, so here we're just, you know, connecting all these ideas we've talked about directly with flow, um, you know, again, and we know that what, you know, what flow was all about, like one of the, the key ideas of flow was about having clear goals and immediate feedback. And here he's connecting this and saying the self is made up mainly of information about goals and feedback. Uh, after every episode involving flow, we are a little different from what we were before. Our consciousness contains fresh information about what ourselves are. And to me, I thought that this was a really interesting point that I hadn't heard him express quite in this way, that um, that what flow gives us is precisely growth of the self, that with every flow experience, we grow. Like we've kind of talked about how you know, being in the flow channel kind of requires you to grow. But here I really even say, hear him saying that every time we have one of these flow experiences, that what it is doing is contributing um, toward our growth and toward our development uh, in becoming a more complex self. Right, I do. That is one of my favorite. Um, the, the first bullet there is one of my favorite in all of the chapter. This concept of, you know, we, and, and I like, I've liked it when we've seen it in the original flow book and in some of the earlier chapters here, this idea that when you, when you enter into the flow state, the self goes away because you are unaware of yourself because everything falls away. You're unaware of nothing, of anything. You're in the zone. You have a single singular hyper focus on whatever it is that has you in the zone. That means that the self also has fallen to the side. The fascinating thought is that when you come back to yourself and you're now aware once again of yourself, the self of which you are now once again aware is not the self that you left behind when you entered into the flow state. And why? Because while you were in the flow state, you experienced growth and that changed the self. So now the new self that you're walking forward to is a little bit different than the self that you walked to, into flow with, which I think is a fascinating concept. And it's really um, exciting to think that as we wrangle our consciousness and work towards increased control to get us into more flow states, what we're actually doing is, well, we're having more fun because flow is fun, right? But in so doing, we are making ourself better, more robust, stronger, and all that that entails, which I think is just fascinating. It's like just another byproduct, right, of walking that meaningful path. And I, I mean, and it's almost, it makes sense. It just stands to reason that if you are in forward movement, you are going to be increasing the self and making it better, more robust. Even, you know, that's going to mean something different for all of us.
So next we're gonna connect these ideas with, as he says here, the skills of spirituality and wisdom. Uh, the main point here, the most widely known and most highly regarded concepts of skills and challenges can be seen in the universal concepts of spirituality and wisdom. In reality, these two develop simultaneously. So here he's really just making the connection between these ideas that we've been exploring and some of the patterns and, and concepts that we see in spiritual and wisdom traditions. You're kind of just seeing the commonalities that go across all of these. I mean, as he points out here, what's common to all forms of spirituality is the attempt to reduce entropy in consciousness. Spiritual activity aims at producing harmony among conflicting desires. It tries to find meaning among the chance events of life, and it tries to reconcile human goals with natural forces that impinge on them from the environment. So again, it's just you know, connecting these big ideas that we've been discussing with just these timeless principles that we've learned from spiritual and wisdom traditions. Right, and if um, hopefully you guys remember the Veils of Maya from several chapters back, you know, and those are all the illusions that we have to fight through in order to see reality. That's what, you know, we mean when we say the Veils of Maya, they were very painstakingly spelled out for us in chapters three and four. Um, so just to give you guys a little refresher there. Um, and this, this was extremely difficult to get this section into four bullets, I have to say. I, I actually would like to um, bring up a little paragraph actually from the previous section because I felt that it actually tied better to these concepts because what we're being told here is that you know, spirituality is your, um, it's your challenges and wisdom, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, is your skills and wisdom is your challenges. So remember, we're looking for that sweet spot again. So you're looking for a sweet spot between spirituality and wisdom. That's an intriguing concept, isn't it? But that's the same thing that we've been saying. If you remember the diagram that we forced you to look at every time we met for the flow book, and last week, or I'm sorry, last two weeks ago, we brought it up again, we revived it, that skill versus challenge um, graph where you're looking for the flow channel. Um, you know, it's this idea where the two must exist and they have to grow in tandem. That, if you can remember that visual, that's what we're being told here. Um, MC tells us that he has to, explain them one after the other, but we should keep in mind that it's impossible to actually experience them one after the other in any form of growth. You have to grow them in tandem. And interestingly enough, he has a little section where he talks about the T person. And I think that it does a good job for bringing this out. He says, it is the T person who combines harmoniously these opposite tendencies. He or she is original yet systematic, independent yet responsible, bold yet disciplined, intuitive yet rational. He balances a healthy pride in his uniqueness with a deep interest and concern for others. It is easy to be at one or the other pole of these pairs and much more difficult to be at both ends at once. Yet only when the apparent antinomy of these two processes is resolved, can a self fully participate 
in the flow of evolution. And that's the same thing that we're just saying here. It's find the sweet spot. And that's where you're moving past just trying to make yourself better. And now whatever you're doing is not only making yourself better, it's making some other selves better and potentially even, you know, self, the big S, which would be, you know, humanity, humankind. And that's how we tie back to the evolving self. All right. So I did manage to get this on one uh, slide here, Jaya. Do you, you want to say a little more on this one or shall we move on to the next one? Um, I didn't like the way that he break, broke wisdom down here into like three different aspects. Um, I, I'll just maybe even just, you know, put a pin on that and just point out that I no, like no, that. No, no, go idea. for it. Well, now you've piqued our interest. Well, now you've piqued our interest, right? Well, so he kind of broke this down into, um, you know, that wisdom constitutes these three different aspects, ways of knowing, like cognitive skills, um, ways of acting, which would be virtue, and then the practices that lead to inner serenity and enjoyment. I just thought that was just a fascinating observation there too. But for the sake of time, we should we should probably keep moving forward. Perhaps. I, you know, I will say, <laughs> okay, but now you open the door there, I will say that I'm fascinated by the, the, so this is one of the few times in which he actually does literally address the concept of virtue. But I find him to indirectly address it as we go along. And so something to note here is that very soft reminder that the meaningful path, there is virtue and morality to be found there as well. MC does a phenomenal job of never beating us over the head with that, but it does live there in the periphery. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say there. All right. So finally, the challenges of the future. Um, you know, that, that is what this book is about, right? Where we've been looking at the history of evolution, but we are most concerned about how we are going to evolve the self in toward the future. So here he's, he's asking, what does one have to do to experience flow and build a more complex self while at the same time contributing to evolution? That's kind of been the big question of this whole book. And here he's actually finally giving us some of the pieces of the answer. Um, so maybe just kind of, maybe just quickly um, you know, list these out. And then, uh, you know, kind of, we can even maybe use the breakout rooms to explore some of these even more. Um, but these are some of the pieces here, um, learn to enjoy life, seek out complexity, master wisdom and spirituality in the sense that we were just uh, speaking about it, um, invest your psychic energy, which is the energy of your, your consciousness and your attention into the future, um, invest in a harmonious future, um, and did you pull out, were there a couple more of these two? Nope. That was, that was the all five that I saw. Okay. Um, this is a highly synopsized version. He, yeah. he spends, you know, a paragraph or two on each of these concepts, but I just pulled out um, what I could from them. And I, I only saw the five. Do you think I missed one? Um, I mean, I think those are the big ones. I'm just making sure that, because you're right, because you know he obviously went into more depth in, in the chapter. I just wasn't sure if he had had more on the slide. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. You know, these are funny because they're so deceptively simple. And yet you're looking at them like, okay, really? Because they're also so outlandishly huge. It's like, okay, I see you, MC, thanks. Um, no, they, they um, but finally we get some answers. You know, we spent the last seven chapters 
piling question upon question with no answers and with you know obstacles presented and challenges presented and now he finally gives us a couple answers so i say we take it right <laughs> and the idea here i think what he was trying to do was just um helping us see that it's really just simply the idea of improvement you know work on yourself and in working on yourself you are going to find that you're working on other selves and I think it's really that simple and you know I okay maybe I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because you know there's nothing simple about attempting to improve oneself to the point where we can have a positive effect on the evolutionary trajectory of humankind I mean you know but also let's not go home and cry into our pillow about it because you can work on these things in smaller bites and hopefully get there all right so let's go to the breakout rooms because I want to make sure we give everyone else a chance to talk because we, we've obviously been talking a lot this, this was a, a longer chapter and there was a lot of really interesting things in the chapter and then just all the connections we wanted to make with everything else but let's you want to field a few questions in case anyone has some clarification type questions before we do the breakout rooms because we did throw a lot of data we did throw a lot out at you so yeah so yeah if anybody just wants to ask any questions to clarify anything that was said in the presentation um Although I think like a lot of the benefit from this will even come from kind of maybe discussing some of these with, with people. Let's see, it looks it's like true. Ronald has his hand raised. Oh, Ronald, you're still muted. I'm just curious to know how we actually construct this notion of the self. The word self is a word in a dictionary. It's not really an actual thing. It's sort of a conglomeration of ideas that are sort of bound together by a concept called the self, which could mean anything. The Darwinian self is very different than the Freudian self. The Freudian self is very different than the Nietzschean self. Every version of psychoanalysis, every version of history has defined the self differently. Postmodernism defines the self very differently than, than this defines the self. So I, I conclude that the self is really not a thing. It's sort of an imaginary construction that we sort of create to give us the illusion that we actually have a self. <clears throat> because what it is, is really just a word. Absolutely. So we, we do like here at 5211 Ideas to invite you to not get too stuck on a word. It's just a name. For the sake of our discussion, MC does define for us what, how he views the self. In the actual chapter on the self, he does um, take um, time to painstakingly speak about the neurons and the process and the, um, the scientific evolutionary path of the neurons that would create this consciousness that he is going to call the self. And so he does present for us what it is that he means when he's speaking of the self. And in general, for this discussion, we do use his idea. So when we say self, we're talking consciousness. We're talking, um, you know, that which is self-aware within your brain. We're talking identity. These are the concepts we're using. We're using the word self to imply all of these various concepts. 
Does that help? Yeah. I'll maybe even just read a little bit from, from this chapter. And, and I would even just, um, you know, draw your attention to read, to read what he says here. Cause you're exactly right that, you know, you know, all these different traditions in psychology and in philosophy, um, you know, all have different versions of the self. Um, so he does, you know, have a whole section of this chapter to present his view, but I'll just read maybe a couple sentences here. So you can see the, the view that he's putting forward for, for his argument here in this book. Um, so he talks about how um, the self is a kind of reification. He says, we usually think of it as a force, a spark, an inner flame with an indivisible integrity. Yet from what we now, from we know now, the self is more in the nature of a figment of the imagination, something we create to account for the multiplicity of impressions, emotions, thoughts, and feelings that the brain records in consciousness. In simpler organisms, the nervous system consists of more or less closed circuits. Only a few sensory channels are open, and these are connected to single discrete motor responses. The organism doesn't have to make complex decisions, but reacts instinctively in piecemeal. But because the human brain has become so complex over time, there is too much information coming into it. A great variety of sensory data clamors for attention and priorities have to be set. Eventually, a quote unquote traffic cop function develops among the neurons of the brain to monitor and control what otherwise would be buzzing confusion. Without a centralized director, the competing sensory inputs would jostle one another in a senseless chaos. But as soon as we begin to use this executive capability that has emerged in recent evolutionary history, it too becomes one of the items of information in consciousness. And as we reflect on our ability to control what is happening in the mind, we come to think of it as a concrete entity, the quote unquote self to which we attribute all sorts of qualities. Many imagine the self as a homunculus, a mannequin, a tiny individual sitting in the middle of the brain directing our lives. While this is not literally true, there is something in our mind that is more than the sum of the individual neurons that make up the brain. This something is the self, the brain's awareness of its own form of organizing information. So maybe that just gives you a little deeper sense of the way that MC is using this term. It doesn't really help me answer the question because it seems that if the self is a socially constructed idea that sort of varies with, within the context of history and, and culture, and is it, all this is written by Viktor Frankl, is this Viktor Frankl's idea, did you say? Who, who wrote, who this, wrote is this? Mihal, this is Mihal Csikszentmihalyi, oh, oh, oh. yeah, this is his view. Because mm -hmm. I thought I heard Viktor Frankl mentioned. Victor, um, so we, we use Viktor Frankl's models in further speaking of concepts of self-transcendence well, Victor Frankl um, was, was a Holocaust survivor. Say again? Victor Frankl, if that's the same Frankl that I'm thinking of, mm -hmm. he, was a, he was a Holocaust survivor. Correct, yes. But I don't think that discredits him from having- I'm not saying it discredits. I never okay. said it discredits him. I just say that that's, that's, that's his construction of uh, the concept of self based on his Judeo-Christian- oh, we, We're looking at the self trans his concept of self-transcendence more so than his concept of self. The self that we're using here today, we're aligning our, our, ourselves with Mihail Shiksent Mihaili's concept. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I mean, this is the this is the, the version of the self that you know that we're exploring in this this version of the book. And then you know, Maritza and I just wanted to try to connect it with you know some of these other thinkers. But I think you know your point is valid that um, you know everyone has kind of their own different definitions of the self. So part of this was even trying to maybe find some of the commonalities amongst these disparate thinkers and, and specifically as it was related to this idea of transcendence as well. 
So I do want to make sure that we have time for the breakout rooms because it's already uh already Joe, Joe has his hand up though. Okay. Sorry, okay. thank yeah. you, Robert. Robert. I say so maybe Joe and then we'll go to breakout, the breakout rooms. rooms. Yeah, mm-hmm. my question my question is going to be very, very brief. Um, could you just go back to the slide with uh that had spirituality as a skill? Mm-hmm. And because I just didn't understand that part, and I just want to make sure I've been in and out. I just heard it. Um Okay. So what I'll do for you guys is I'll put a link when we come back from the breakout room. I will put a link for you to grab this presentation um, and then you can re- review it at your leisure if you wish. Um, and I'll do that when we come back from the breakout rooms, okay? Yeah, I think it's gonna be really important with this one just precisely because there was a, there was a lot of information in this one. Absolutely, yes. I can, I'll do that for you guys. Um, I didn't have it set up yet, um, but I'll do that now, so. All right, so, um, so let me give you the, the question that we, that we thought you guys could maybe explore for this particular breakout room. Um, of course, you, know, you can bring up anything else uh, from the chapter as well. Yeah, I gotta go find the page again. Um, so this is from one of the questions that uh, MC asks uh, toward the end of the chapter here, which is connecting again, thinking about the self and about goals. So he asks, if goals are what define the self, what are the priorities in your life? Which one of these goals is most likely to lead to transcendence. So I'll just read it again. If goals are what define the self, what are the priorities in your life? And which one of these goals is most likely to lead to transcendence? So that is the question we're going to leave you with. And I'm going to give you all 20 minutes to discuss it and anything else that we discussed here from the chapter and the presentation with your group. So all right, everybody's coming back on now. Hopefully had some good discussions there in your group. We have 15 minutes left here in the big room before it is gonna be time for me to turn you over to, there is another meetup coming right after this one, a continuation of the exploration of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is on a different Zoom link. So you're gonna have to close out of this one and join that one if you're interested in the next meetup. But let's just spend the time we have here for anyone to bring up any questions that maybe came up either in the breakout room or just, uh, you know, from, you know, as we were giving the presentation and any other insights or takeaways that you wanted to share. So again, um, you can feel free to just type exclamation point in the chat if you'd like to speak, uh, or you can use the raise the hand function here in Zoom as well. All right, looks like Joe has something here to get us started and then Ronald after Joe. Okay. Uh, um, who's going who's going first? Joe first. Joe first, uh, okay, then Ronald. Um, no, so we had a very good discussion. We had a you know it was across a broad range of, of uh, topics. Um, but this one interesting thing is that where do uh, exactly where do um, goals actually come from is something that came up for me uh, because since that was the question that we were posed on you know going into the breakout room and I think that that's kind of interesting because I think that it's not really goals that are transformative I think it's more that your values so if you really kind of really considered what your values are 
they actually drive your goals. Um, and so then you have principles based on that and you have a framework that you can actually work off of. So that's something that's that kind of came up for us. And I guess from there, it, the idea of an ideal self, um, you know, how does that construct it since, and, and that gets into some of the things that Ronald talked about is that how are you defining the self? Are you defining it in a, in a, in a Freudian sense? Are you defining it in a, in a, in a uh, Hegelian sense and things along those lines? So um, it does matter. I know, I know MC actually defines it very clearly for us, um, you know, along those same lines, just, you know, so, it, in a way, in a, in a, in a very psychological self-help type of way. So how do you know, how do you take action in the world in a very practical way? Um, so uh, there's that aspect of it. We also talked on the idea the, about the idea, not much about, I wouldn't like maybe some, if anybody wishes to comment to expand on the idea of spirituality and skills and what that actually, you know, how that is a skill per se. Uh, that's still a little bit confusing to me, um, but the importance of wisdom and the uh, and the way he defined it, it was was also interesting um, because there's you know that uh, he has virtue underneath it, but he also has you know the cognitive aspect of things, and I forget what the third category was he listed, um, but you know he had that that kind of framework. So uh, those are just some of the things that had come up in our in our discussion we we, we had uh, but ronald made some very good comments so i'll let him go ahead go ahead oh and it sounds like you, you guys did have a really interesting discussion i'll just jump in and say the third thing there so it was the cognitive skills um ways of knowing the virtue um things to do ways of being and then the, the third one he had practices for um serenity and enjoyment uh, which he kind of identified as personal good and those were the three things that he had put there under wisdom but yeah lots of really good questions definitely the kind of questions that we can answer in five minutes <laughs> I, do, I do want to quickly jump in here on the concept of um spiritual skills you know we're looking here at this idea of um you know um it's an attempt to reduce entropy and consciousness so if you look at it that way you are sharpening your ability to do so. And what do you sharpen? You sharpen skills. So, it, and it's a, it is a skill in comparison to the challenge of achieving wisdom. Hopefully that helps a little bit. All right, yeah, but, uh, Ronald had a question to go next. Well, my, my argument was historically, we always thought of the self as, a social, as sort of a socially constructed material concept. It's not, it's an imaginary structure we sort of like con con conceive in order to negotiate through life, like give ourselves a false notion that we have agency and control. But in reality, when you have imperialism and functioning and you have, you have racism and you have anti-Semitism and you have all sorts of sexism going on, these are all diminishments of the self. How is the self supposed to actually fight against the courts that are saying a woman has no right over her body. They're basically saying she doesn't have the self, the agency to take control of herself and, uh, and decide for herself whether she wants to give, give birth to a child or the, the fact that the self is sort of uh, very often finds itself without food and, and has to commit crimes in order to feed its family. So, so, the, so you're, you're um, dealing with an abstract self that does not, doesn't seem to be grounded in reality. In real we're, we're dealing with a self that is synonymous with consciousness. 
So you're, you seem to be speaking of a self that is external to our minds. When we're discussing the self here in this forum, we're looking at our identity, our consciousness. Um, and this, my personal opinion is that that myself is not diminished by a societal dictate. Myself is not diminished by a political edict. I can still choose. My, uh, my social options may be limited, but my internal personal ones on how I will wrangle my own consciousness remain untouched by society's impositions upon my person, as it were. Um, that's my personal opinion on that subject. Um, but taking a step back and looking at this forum and what we're discussing here, we are discussing self as consciousness, self as identity. While I do agree, and I would not disagree that the self does tend to be a construct that we, we use to allow us to walk around in this world, right? Here, the way in which we're looking at it is through the lens of consciousness. And that's okay. really important to remember because without remembering that, it's nearly impossible for you to consider any of the things we're trying to consider here today. What we're trying to consider is how can we find a way to move forward and get ourselves into more flow states? That's actually what we're discussing here. And, and specifically with the evolving self, we're looking at it even more big picture and we're trying to see how we can enter into flow states that will somehow benefit not just one self, but many selves right. to an right. evolutionary right. path. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say, um, you know, because, you know, here, you know, we're, we're really you know, exploring this, this particular book and MC's version of the self that he wants to talk about here, which, as Marissa's pointing out, is aligned with, with the view of flow that he wants to put out there. And so I'll, I'll just add that, um, you know, when he's talking about uh, the self, he's talking about consciousness. The, the big phrase that he keeps using over and over is the phrase psychic energy, which he's using to refer to attention. So when he's talking about the self, he really is uh, talking about, uh, you know, as he describes it here, sort of this um, you know, emergent phenomenon that comes from the activity of our brains and our neurons firing. And, you know, and he points out himself that this is, you know, ultimately a kind of reification. He kind of describes it as, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, imagination, you know, um, where, as he points out, like the sum is, is greater than the parts. Um, but he's really focused here on the concept of a self that would be what is able to direct and monitor and observe all of what is coming out of you know, brain activity that emerges there in consciousness. So that's the aspect of the self that he really wants to focus on. And precisely because he really wants to connect it with the experience of flow so that he can bring us into this discussion of uh, you know, how flow can ultimately impact our ability to have some influence on the future of evolution. Right. Um, so anybody else have any other questions that they want to put on the table? I see Anton and then anybody else who wants to maybe come after Anton um, to give us a question or, or just a final uh, insight or takeaway in the last few minutes here. But Anton next. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I was about to say, uh, I didn't have a question, but like you said, like insider comment. So um, yeah, one of the things that was talked about in, in my breakout group was about how, um, or I, I, at least I think maybe it's just my idea, but I think my idea was tying in with uh, one of the things that were talked about was like, I think that there can be a healthy or a good version of self you know so like to that extent that it is useful now i'll i'll add in what i think personally myself like yeah i i do think uh to the point of what ronald is saying well I, i'm not sure if it's saying the same thing uh, i i don't think it is but it's similar in a way like the self is limited the self is conceptual it definitely has its uh confinements and is influenced by various aspects of the external environment but i think that there still can be a good or a healthy version of that even though the word good is broad also so those are some thoughts that i have yeah did, did, did your group kind of discuss what made a self a good self um well i mean things that i think relate to it like um i, I think we were tying it, it once again in, in like the transcendent aspect of it like um we were kind of thinking about kind of what our feelings were about that concept actually i was like i, I can say like some of my own thoughts we were kind of throwing ideas around about as it relates to what the transcendent self is. Uh, that's at least my impression of our breakout, but yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing. Let's see, um, did, Joe, did you have something else to say here? Uh, just one thing that we actually talked about uh, in our room that might be of interest is this idea of um, how much control do we actually have over our own decisions? Uh, you know, because this is actually um, really assuming a, a high degree of autonomy uh, that, you know, in order to uh, achieve a certain level of self-actualization. Uh, while I'm, you know, in agreement with, with what Maritza said is that externals don't dictate uh, uh, who we are. Um, and he actually goes through the idea that if you manage yourself to externals, that it won't actually, you'll get away from your true self. Um, but, uh, you know, that the, the, there you are there and, and the self, it does exist within a system. Uh, so then how much control we actually have over those decisions are really, it's, it's, it's because, it, you know, I don't know. There's certain a lot of a lot of decision sciences that don't that seem to imply that we don't have as much control as we think we do. So, Joe, now you're forcing me to see the value of the painful first five chapters. Thanks, Joe. So here's the thing. In the first five chapters of this book, MC very painstakingly spelled out for us all of the pitfalls that we will be warring against as we try to wrangle any control over our consciousness. We suffered through the veils of Maya, two chapters. We talked ad nauseum about all of the parasitic elements that take away control from consciousness. All of the instincts that are written and imprinted into our genetic code. So we went through painstakingly, and was it an exhaustive list? I don't believe it was, but he did a very good job of attempting to provide us with big items that are wrestling control away from us. And what he says is that, can I say that you will be able to get control over these? No, 
what I can say is that honestly, being aware that these exist may be enough. And it's the mat, it's again, it's that idea of not just floating about. Self-awareness really is quite powerful. And what he's saying is being aware that there are all these forces working against you is enough to help you wrangle a little control. Will you ever have full control? It, no, the answer is no. And he's not saying that that's what our goal is. We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to be aware and wrangle some control. If we move forward with intention, it's better than just floating in whatever direction, all of instinct, all of social constructs, bat us about. And I think that that's the basic gist of what we're being shown here. And then I'll just quickly connect that to, you know, we, you know, Joe, you even brought up the question about, you know, what are the skills of spirituality? One of the constants that we see is precisely training up the skill of attention. And I think that's the one that he would really want to focus on. So if you think about all of the wisdom traditions with their focus on meditation and prayer and, you know, the, the ways in which we have this ability to be aware of and monitor and then start to direct our attention. This is precisely building the skills that then, you know, give us some amount of control, right? And, and what you're getting at really is ultimately the, the, the paradox of the serenity prayer, the, the, the ultimate question of, you know, the wisdom to know the difference between what is in our control and what is not in our control. And, and to me, even the fascinating thing is, you know, how precisely, you know, by working on some of these skills, you can develop more control. And I think that's going to be something that he would see here too. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the, the questions that we're going to answer in the next couple of minutes. And I do have to let you go. So um, you can probably even take some of these questions onto the Bhagavad Gita meetup, which is coming up next. And then definitely join us for in two weeks when we're going to get into the next chapter of this book, which is going to be about flow and history. So I'm assuming that we're even going to be doing some of this work then to kind of take some of these ideas that we've been talking about and try to put them in more of a historical context, which I would assume is going to uh, incorporate a, a social context as well, but I'm going to be reading it with you. So we all shall see, and I will look forward to seeing everybody in two weeks, but thank you all for another fascinating discussion tonight. Thank you, thank you guys. Yeah. Have a good one. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit DelveTravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.